0: My name is Justin Marshall, as uh, Jeremy said, and I'm so glad to be able to be with you guys. I love Sundays, and uh, I love it because I get to be here with you, Um, and I mean that truly. I do enjoy my days off. I enjoy my family. I enjoy college football and all these amazing things that are so closely coming, but I really do. I love being here for so many different reasons. I get a whole bunch of hugs, all right? Both my grandmas are with Jesus, and you all have brought me in as your grandson, and so thank you. For the amazing hugs and the way you bless me, I get to experience life with you, hear about your first grandchild who was born, or that milestone, or whenever, I'm out on social media, so everything's new to me. So I had some people come in and go, hey, we got engaged, and I was like, that's amazing, when? And they're like, a couple weeks ago, and I was like, that's awesome, congratulations. And so Sundays for me is like being with my family, and so I'm so so blessed to be able to be with you this morning. Everything we're going to talk about today falls under this category. This is not the way into the kingdom, but the way of the kingdom. Obviously, you've been sitting under amazing gospel teaching here at Redemption Church, and you understand that you cannot earn your way to heaven. You can't be good enough, you can't serve enough, you can't do enough things. It is by the grace of God that he calls you and saves you. The things we're going to talk about today are the way in which we live because of what God has done in us and has called us to the kingdom. So what you're going to hear is not the way into the kingdom, but the way of the kingdom. Open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. I can uh, get your smartphone out. And also, it's going to be on the screen as we read along, but as you're opening up to Mark chapter 10, we'll be starting in verse 32, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever been frustrated by your children? Everybody said, amen, and we go home? It's totally cool. I've been there. I've got five children currently at my house, and I say currently, because who knows? God could bring more. That's totally possible. And you do these things with your kids where you try and prepare them for the most simple tasks. You try and outline everything so there's no questions. I'm a planner. I want there to be no gaps in the plan. Right down to the detail. Okay, it's dinner time. We're going to do bedtime at 7.30 tonight. My nine-year-old goes, what? We're going to do bedtime at 7.30 tonight. You can sit up there and read. You can enjoy the wonderful world of your imagination. I don't care. You're just going to bed. So we're outlining this whole principle from the time of what does it look like to go upstairs? You get your water, you're going to brush your teeth, the little one's going to put a pull-up on, you're going to get jammies, you're going to go in your bed. Mom and dad are going to come sing to you, we'll kiss you, we'll pray with you, and then you will shut your eyes and I will see you another day, all right? We go upstairs and it's like, where's your little brother's pants? Where's your toothbrush? Your finger's not a toothbrush. It's like the complete chaos and maybe you live like that with your employees, your spouse, I don't know. But you're not the only one, because Jesus feels this frustration too. Look in Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. Jesus is preparing them. There are no gaps in the stories. They are completely amazed. They're listening. Look at verse 35. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, "'Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you.' And he said to them, "'What do you want me to do for you?' And they said to him, "'Grant us to sit one at your right hand "'and one at your left in your glory.' Jesus said to them, "'You do not know what you are asking. "'Are you able to drink the cup that I drink "'or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized?' And they said to him, "'We are able.'" And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Will you pray with me? God in heaven, as we open up your word, would you help us to understand the way of the kingdom? Would you help us understand what it means to love you by serving others? By giving ourselves away, by not putting ourselves first, by not being just like the world around us, but by living the way of the kingdom. God, we thank you for your word. God, would you help me to be clear? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, Jesus was really clear there. As you read that, you can understand what's about to happen. I got it. Hindsight's 2020. We can see from the different side of the story. But yet this is the third time Jesus has told the disciples what was about to happen. It wasn't like a brand new concept. It wasn't like, hey, this is the first time. Just like bedtime, just like taking your kids to a restaurant. This isn't a new concept. This is something we have done before. Jesus has said, I'm going to die, and it's not going to be great. But it will be amazing. He's explaining to these disciples, it says in that passage, verses 32 through 34, that they were amazed, that they were captivated, they were afraid. All of those words, to me, make it seem like they were listening. These men had already dismissed what they had just heard. They did not listen because they had their own agenda. Does that sound familiar? It's amazing how quickly we forget what God has said for us and about himself because we have our own agenda, because we have our own way, our own thoughts. I mean, these guys, they had this idea, right, Jesus has to die, but this is going to be a military kingdom. This is going to be one we're going to take it by force. We're no longer going to be opposed by the Pharisees or by the Romans. Jesus is going to sit on the throne. And think about what we could do, guys. Well, James, think about James and John, what we could do. What if we were the ones who were right there and we ruled all of this with Jesus? Think about that would be for us and how good that would be for us. They had just forgotten how gruesome this kingdom was going to start with an innocent man dying for those who could not save themselves. They had not yet learned the lesson that the cross must become before the crown. That suffering comes before glory. Jesus was referring to the cup of rejection and judgment soon to be pressed to his lips and to the baptism of death he was to endure on the cross. James would be the first of the twelve to be martyred. Acts chapter 12, you can see where James is killed under the rule of Herod Agrippa. It wasn't very long after he realized or had heard what Jesus said, you will deal with the cup and with the baptism, but the position is not mine to give. James is killed for the cause of Christ. John is another story. We can read all the way back into Revelation that he lived a long life on the Isle of Patmos where he was exiled for the cause of Christ, but church history says that he was boiled in oil and lived. And was poisoned, but yet still lived. I can't imagine going through either of those things for what I believed. These men did not know what they were asking for in that moment. They did not understand all of what Jesus was giving to them. They had been walking under gospel truth and yet did not remember it. Again, this sounds much like us. Our parallels with the disciples is almost laughable at times. When you look at what they've done, look at what they say, or even look at the things you've done or you say in ignorance of the gospel. But it's not just James and John, right? The other ten are in this conversation. They hear it. And the Bible says that they become indignant. They become angry. They become upset. They become frustrated. And I want to believe it's because they're frustrated at the lack of humility in James and John. But because it's the disciples, I don't think that's the case. I think they're frustrated because they didn't get to Jesus first. (laughs) Think about how you feel when you have the same idea as somebody else and you don't get to the boss first. Dang it. That was $10,000 more each year. That'd be a good raise, by the way. You look at this, and that's just like us. This amount of jealousy. These 10 guys who had been through the same things as James and John, their frustration over the fact that probably they didn't get to that, or why didn't we say it, or why didn't you say, why can't all 12 of us sit up there, but you just chose yourselves? Matthew's gospel says that their mom went and asked for them. I'm sure that would have been another bone of contention for the disciples. Your mom, really? You can't do it yourself it looks as though mark is more of a bro to these guys than matthew at that point jesus is about to lay out what service looks like what does the kingdom look like it's not what they thought what really matters in this life greatness power no it's service it's giving yourself away the kingdom is not built on jealousy Like many people today, the disciples were making the mistake of following the wrong examples. Instead of modeling themselves after Jesus, they were admiring the glory and the authority of the Roman rulers, men who loved position and authority. One author says this, In those times, the prominent matter of notice was a tremendous hierarchy in the Jewish church and a domineering aristocracy in the Roman government. The ancient people of God had travestied his word and perverted his ordinances and forfeited his favor. The rulers usurped authority everywhere in matters of faith and conscience. They destroyed the revelation from heaven by overlaying the human traditions. And as they continued to grow unrighteous, they began to grow oppressive. And surely those Jewish disciples needed only to be reminded of the hatefulness of the Roman Empire that was holding their nation in captivity. They did indeed know that their great ones exercised authority over them this wouldn't have been a new concept. These guys would have understood how the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have created all of these rules. They'd have taken this book we've talked about in the study of Mark, the Talmud, and they would have created everything they could have to try and oppress the people into holiness or to make themselves look better. They would have sat under that as they were growing up. They would have been in bondage to the Romans in their taxes into the way that they had to live. They would have watched these authorities turn over and over and over again as they backstabbed one another to get their way to the elite status of Rome this is not something to them that would have been new information it's an overwhelming reminder that Jesus says that's not the way of the kingdom in the kingdom we're not jumping over each other to get what we can in the kingdom we're laying down our lives for one another so that others might come to the reality of the gospel you're not going to be like these people That's not the way that it is in this kingdom. Well, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to greatness. We must be careful to define greatness by Jesus' standards. Jesus said, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. Greatness through service through obscurity is the kingdom of God. Hopefully that's not the first time you've heard the word obscurity used. Tim has been preaching that to me since I was in high school. What does it look like to be selfless? What does it look like to serve in unnoticed ways? That's exactly what Jesus is calling here to the disciples. That when he says would be a servant or a slave of all, he's saying those people do everything they're supposed to do, not for accolades, but because they do. As Christians, we're called to be obscure. So the question is, is how obscure are you willing to be? What are the things you're willing to do that no one notices? Are you the type of person who would clean the microwave at the office or put up a note said the person who made the mess, mess and everybody else knew about it? You ever walked into a disgusting microwave situation before and you wonder, what did they put in here? Was it alive or just a Hot Pocket? Because seriously, if one of those bad boys explodes, it's over. Might as well buy a new microwave. Run down to Target, get a hot point. That would be a better act of service maybe than cleaning it, right? But you pull out the little little glass thing and the little metal thing. Why that's a metal thing in there, I don't know. But you pull it out and you wipe it down. You get the simple green out because you're an eco-friendly office. And you clean it and you take care. And then you walk away going, I hope somebody can use this and be blessed by it. Are you willing to empty the shredder paper? Got it. I got that those aren't necessarily hard things, but they're obscure things, which will lead to the things that God's called you to. Will you stop and do them? Would you do the thing you were not paid to do in order to bless the people that you work with or go to school with or hang out with or live with? Where will you serve where no one sees you? That's the question. And not all of those things have to be the same. Not all hard things are the same. God has us in unique situations in unique places at a unique time and has called us, no matter what they are, to serve, to give our life away, to give up that 15 minutes because somebody else would be blessed. Listen to this. Ambition in this life for greatness in this life will end up stealing your life. Ambition in this life for greatness in this life will end up stealing your life. God refuses to find the greatness of your life in dollars or cents, family or friends or kids or promotions or raises, accomplishments or recognition of fun. He loves you too much and there's too much at stake. When Jesus said he came that you might have a full and abundant life, he wasn't promising less debt Longer vacations or more power in the company, his promise is real. And following him will satisfy us beyond our wildest imaginations. But it won't look like so much of their so called greatness around us. What does it look like to suffer for the kingdom? To give your life away? To give your family's life away? What is the hard thing that God's calling you to do that you keep avoiding? That I keep avoiding? What are those hard things? What are the things you and your spouse have been talking about for years and haven't gotten to? Is it giving more money away because you have enough? Is it actually knowing your neighbor's names other than to win to wave when they show up home from work? Do you know what their needs are? Are you willing to engage and foster care and adoption things we've been preaching at the church to go to Alaska to go and do something like give an hour and 30 minutes on a Sunday to serve in Redemption kids to be able to go in there and say these little kids need Jesus and then to walk away going I'm just as blessed as maybe they weren't you're willing to go on mission somewhere to go into the hard places to say the hard things to not let your reputation define you, but let the gospel define you? When the greatest greatness came into our world, he was born in a stable. He laid in a feeding trough. He walked from town to town without a home, without a place to stay. He made some headlines with his message and miracles, but he made more enemies. When the Son of God came, calling lowly fishermen to be his disciples, he kneeled and washed their filthy, undeserving feet. The King of kings, the greatest of all time, humbled himself to the point of death even the most shameful, painful kind of death, true greatness, lost his life in love for us. That's gospel truth. That's what our service is based out of, the fact that you couldn't save yourself. I hope you heard me when we started. This isn't service to get in the kingdom. This is service because of the kingdom, because of what you've been called to, what you've been saved from. Greatness is evidenced by one's readiness to deny self and to serve others for Christ's sake who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We cannot share in his atoning or redemptive work but we can and should follow him in his life of patient service for the blessing of a needy world. That's absolutely upside down from everything that you will ever hear at a business seminar. That's absolutely upside down from every self-help book you will ever ever read. Look at this. These are right from scripture. We conquer by yielding. We find rest under yoke. We are made great by becoming little. We are exalted by being humble. We become wise by being fools for Christ's sake. We are made free by becoming his bondservants. We are strong by being weak. We triumph by defeat. We find victory by glorifying in our infirmities. We live by dying and we reign by serving. God's word creates an upside down, other than this world, way of living. You will not hear this in this world we live in. This is true gospel change true gospel change. Listen to this. Jesus does not have a corporate ladder, but he does have a corporate wash towel and basin. Jesus didn't save you, didn't call you to a new life, didn't give you a new heart, didn't free you from your sins, didn't guarantee you eternal life so you could work your way up some church ladder to become something that makes you look great. God saved you so that you could serve. God saved you so that you could give your life away, so that you could emulate him, you could live out his example, so that you could be a servant of all, so that you would lay down your life for those who are in need. Let me read to you Philippians chapter 2, because this is absolutely clear of what Jesus did. So if there isn't any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any Sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Jesus practiced what he preached. He was a servant to the point of death and we're not even servants to the point of laundry or dishes. because we think too highly of ourselves. Because we've made this life about us. If you look over to verse 46 in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is moving with the disciples towards Jerusalem. He has the goal of the cross. He has death at his doorstep. He is moving in that direction. And we see here, starting in verse 46, that he stops again. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, in a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is an amazing picture of what Jesus was just saying to his disciples. Now, chronologically, did it happen that day or the next day? But it would have been soon enough, I'm sure, or I hope the disciples were able to connect it. The fact that Jesus had an agenda, but the circumstances didn't trump the agenda. This man was in need and Jesus was going to stop. Bartimaeus uses this term, son of David, which was this messianic title. This title of God, of sent one. But Bartimaeus' name meant son of filth. I think that simple connection of the man God chose to recover sight to had this picture of Jesus, messianic, Messiah, greatest, coming and serving someone even with the name son of filth. I mean, imagine the disciples going through this. Like, how many times have they seen Jesus do this? How many times have they seen him care for other people all along the way in this almost last three years? It doesn't say that it was the disciples who were pushing Bartimaeus away. Could have been, they've done it before. Or was it part of the other crowd? I mean, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. It is at the time of Passover coming, so it is crowded. Each city that he comes to, and there's more and more people, and yet in this walk... He hears Bartimaeus call out to him, and Jesus says, bring him to me. Right? He's been talking about service, and what does it mean to be a servant? And what does it mean to be a slave? What does it mean to give ourselves away? And Jesus does something so amazing here. And I think it's incredible for us to learn, as he asks Bartimaeus, he says, what can I do for you? I mean, Jesus already knows what he needs, right? He's Jesus. He knows he needs to be healed from his sight. Jesus could have just snapped his fingers as he was walking, could have been done. Bartimaeus could have just had his sight and move on, right? Let's get on the road. But no, he stops and he looks at him and he says, what can I do for you? And Jesus meets his need. I think a lot of times in our life, we're not willing to stop and ask what the need is. We just assume that what we can give is good enough, We evaluate our service based on what we feel is best for us. We evaluate our service on what makes us look good instead of stopping and actually meeting a need. Instead of stopping and actually meeting somebody where they are, getting down on the ground with them, looking them in the eye, and saying, How can I help you? That's the model of a servant who isn't about himself. I mean, ultimately Jesus says, your faith has made you well and he goes on his way and Bartimaeus just follows him. How far does he follow him? I have no idea. Does he follow him to the point where he sees the triumphal entry? Does he follow him to the point where he's taken captive by the the Pharisees and he's held trial? Was he waiting outside? Did he make it to the cross? He was so changed by what Jesus has done in his life that he left Jericho to follow him. When we encounter Jesus at a deep heart change, we follow. Our life is radically made new. The things we once did, we say, I don't want them anymore. And the people we meet, we say, how can I care for you? Jesus doesn't leave us where we were. And he also calls us not to serve people for ourselves. Charles Spurgeon tells this story. Once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. One day, there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot. He took it to his king and said, My Lord, this is the greatest carrot I have ever grown or ever will grow. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So, as he turned to go, the king said, Wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I want to give you a plot of land to you freely as a gift so you can garden it all. The gardener was amazed and delighted, and he went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this, and he said, My, if that's what you can get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? The next day, the nobleman came before the king, and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, My lord, I breed horses, and this is the greatest horse I have ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I want to present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, Thank you, and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed, so the king said, Let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. How many times have you walked away going, I did a good job? You gauge your life by asking, what was the hardest thing I've ever done? Or what was the hardest thing I've ever done for the king? One of the greatest lessons I learned early on in my Christian life was that this life is not about me. This has nothing to do with me. Other than the fact that God's called me to things and I'm to live in them and follow them and serve in them. It's not about me. It's about caring for my wife and my kids, my parents and my in-laws, my friends and my family. It's about the students that God's given me to shepherd, that there's no text message too small, no phone call too late, that God has given me life and breath and blood in my veins that I would care for others and you are no different. It is no different from one Christian to the next what God has called us to Yet we treat it different because we think better about ourselves than we ought. It's not about you. Only through the gospel can we do the service Jesus calls us to. Only through the gospel, only through heart change, only through the radical saving nature of what God can do in a life. There is no other way in this world that we would serve for a greater purpose than ourselves but Jesus. So let me give you three things to be thinking about. Number one, Jesus calls us to obscurity and service. What are the small things, the hard things that you're doing that nobody notices and you don't ask for repayment because it pleases the king? Here's the second thing. Jesus calls us to meet needs, not to meet what is best for us. Jesus calls us to meet needs, not what is best for us. The question we should be asking in that is, how can I help no matter what, or who can I get to come alongside of me that can do this that maybe I can't? Number three, Jesus calls us to do things that are difficult, but not difficult through the work of the Holy Spirit. In my moments of weakness, when I'm selfish, when it's about me, When I begin to have those thoughts, I have to go to John chapter 14. I have to go to John chapter 14 because in that moment when Jesus is with the disciples, he is speaking clearly about how this whole thing's going to go down. Jesus says to them, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And every time I read that, I'm absolutely overwhelmed because every time I try to live it out, I fail. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And right after that, he says, But I won't leave you alone. I will send the helper, the teacher, and the comforter, and the Holy Spirit will be with you. In all these acts of service, all these places that Jesus is asking you to go, in the hard things of your life, he does not leave you alone, he sends himself. Do not be afraid. In your moments, go to John 14. Remind yourself of what you've been called to through the work of the Holy Spirit. God will call you to do what you cannot do, but he will provide everything you need to do it. Listen to this from Paul David Tripp. Noah didn't have the power to get all those animals into the ark, but the Lord provided what was necessary for it to happen. Joseph didn't have the ability to preserve his life and put himself in a position of power in Egypt, but the Lord made it happen. Moses didn't have what it takes to free the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, but the Lord empowered him to lead them to the promised land. The Israelites didn't have the means to get across the Red Sea, but the Lord parted the waters for them. The pilgrims in the wilderness had no means of feeding and sustaining themselves, but the Lord provided everything they needed. The children of Israel had no means of defeating the walled city of Jericho, but the Lord gave them victory. David had no personal power to overcome Goliath, but the Lord gave him courage and strength. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had no ability to keep themselves from burning up in the fiery furnace, but the Lord preserved their lives. Disciples had no means of feeding the hungry crowd that had gathered to hear Jesus, but he fed them well from a little boy's lunch. Paul had no ability to preserve himself and those who were in with him for a shipwreck, but the Lord exercised his power so that none were lost. The apostles had no ability to take the gospel of Jesus to the known world, but the Lord gifted them and provided them so that he could do so. You and I have no natural abilities to rise and do what God calls us to, but he refuses to leave us to our own resources. He is not so unwise, unkind, or unfaithful as to ever call us to a task without enabling us to do it. Wherever God's called you to serve and to give your life away, he will make a way. Because it's not about you. It's about the way of the kingdom. Let me pray. God, would you take your word and make it real as we leave today? God, from the moment we pick up our children or we walk to the car, help us to be servants to the ones that you've put so close to us. God, as we step on a school tomorrow or office or a mom's group or wherever you take us, God, give us eyes to say it's not about me. How can I serve and I love these people? God, we're not trying to work our way into the kingdom. God, you've called us to the kingdom. We just want to be people of the kingdom. So God, take that with us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.